Thanks for tuning in. I'm Scott Walter. And I'm Michael Watson. In this episode, traditional liberals stagger under a challenge from the upstart, extreme left-wing democratic socialists of America. This is the Influence Watch podcast. The political world was shaken last month when Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, a 28-year-old left-wing bartender, won the Democratic primary to represent a congressional district in New York City. By She defeated the fourth-ranking House Democrat, Representative Joe Crowley. Ocasio-Cortez is a member of the Democratic Socialists of America, a far-left pressure group explicitly advocating to, quote, abolish profit, abolish prisons, abolish cash bail, and abolish borders, to quote the DSA's New York City affiliate's Twitter account. Far-left factions in the Democratic Party and professional left are enthusiastic about Ocasio-Cortez's success, believing that it portends a socialist revolution in Democratic leadership and American politics. But just how applicable is the success of one candidate in one of the most left-wing congressional districts to the nation at large, a nation where Donald Trump is president of the United States? Okay, uh, Mike, let's start by saying that, of course, we are simply professional observers uh, on this very interesting yes, the, the, spectacle. This is, this is a, uh, you know, by, by rules, we are not permitted to uh, intervene, formally intervene in, in elections and to encourage uh, or discourage voting one way or the other. We, but we are allowed uh, to present our opinion. That's right. So we are just looking at this fascinating spectacle uh, among many groups that we have always tracked, like Democratic Socialists for America. Look it up on influencewatch.org. Uh, and that's why we're dealing with this today. So tell us a little bit about New York District 14. So New York 14 uh, is uh, a it's one of those kind of gerrymandered districts uh, in New York City. It includes a chunk of a chunk of the Bronx and I think a chunk of Queens, and it and it is represented uh, and will be represented until January of 2018 uh, by a gentleman by the name of Joe Crowley, uh, who is chairman of the House Democratic Caucus, which is the number four ranking Democrat in the Democratic uh, Party leadership. For the House of Representatives. For, for, the, for the House of Representatives. Mm -hmm. uh, now, he was challenged by uh, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, uh, a uh, young left-wing woman. Uh, and despite the fact that uh, Ocasio-Cortez only was able to raise and spend about a tenth of the money that Crowley did, uh, she was able to defeat him for the Democratic nomination. And the Democratic nomination in a district like New York 14 is effectively the general election. Uh, uh, the Cook Political Report, which is the the sort of Bible of sophology for uh, determining the left-wingness or right-wingness of congressional districts, uh, gives it a uh, partisan voting index, which is a, a measure of how Democratic a district is, of Democratic plus 29, I believe. Um, and that makes it tied with a number of other uh, constituencies, to be the 24th most liberal, 24th most Democratic. Um, so so winning the, winning the Democratic primary is tantamount uh, to securing the... Um, election. The securing, the securing the ultimate mm -hmm. general election. Yep. Now, the, um, the left is extremely excited, not just because uh, they knocked off the number four 
member in the of the party in the House, but also because they think this portends uh, shifting alliances and new majority, new new way to make yeah, majorities. Yeah, a, a new way to a new way to make majorities and a new way to make existing Democratic uh, majorities further left wing. Uh, they Ocasio Cortez, uh, I believe, is Puerto. I believe was born was either born in Puerto Rico or her parents were born in Puerto Rico. Um, so even though Puerto Ricans are U.S. citizens and have been for a hundred years, uh, there's an, a sort of an alignment with that sort of immigrant vote and there's a, a, a large number of, of immigrants and, uh, and, uh, other, other ethnic, uh, voters in those precincts who make up the backbone of the Democrat, uh, make up the backbone of the Democratic Party in that district. Uh, and the, the thought, the, the, the liberals thought is that this portends a sort of nationwide alliance between the sort of traditional urban working classes and the new immigrant populations that are going to really push the Democratic Party to the left. There are a couple problems with that. The the people who look into this sort of thing have looked at which precincts Crowley won and which precincts Ocasio-Cortez won. And what actually seems to have happened is that Young, white, more upscale, uh, in many cases, this is, you know, important in Democratic primaries, more female uh, precincts went strongly for Ocasio-Cortez, while the traditional working class and traditional immigrant precincts did not go as strongly for Ocasio-Cortez. Yeah, I uh, want to hear that one more time. So supposedly this, because this is such a classic left-wing thing, whether we're talking politics or just influence groups— um, supposedly, uh, poor people, black people, Hispanic people, uh, marginalized people of all kinds, those are the real avant-garde of the left, but it looks like, at least in this case, that's not true. Well, it kind of isn't, period. Uh, I mean, in, in, in this case, it pretty clearly wasn't. The gent- it was the gentrifier precincts. Yeah, young yuppies. Young, young yuppie Chardonnay socialists uh, went strongly for Ocasio-Cortez. Um, the sophologists and election analysts will often say that the strongest establishment block in the Democratic Party is African-American voters. Uh, it is not that the, uh, it is not the ethnic minority working class that is necessarily pushing the furthest to the left, the most radical, the most extreme. They are, in many cases, the backbone of the traditional, you know, the traditional liberalism of somebody like a Joe Crowley or a Charles Schumer or a, um, or a, uh, you know, about Bill Bill Thompson, who was the sure. who was and, a candidate a candidate for mayor of New York City in 2013, but lost. And in fact, take another uh, cross the, on the other side of the country. Take another case. Sometimes. Uh, black voters and Hispanic voters can be significant in social conservative victories. Uh, Proposition H, uh, 8, the controversial measure in California. Yeah, the, 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 uh, the attempt to uh, reverse same-sex marriage in California. Uh, yeah, after the courts after, had, after, uh, after had imposed it. Um, yes, the, the, the minority vote was actually very important to that. Yeah, it was uh, because, there, again, there is that latent. There is far more religiosity among uh among ethnic minorities who vote for Democrats than among Anglos who vote for Democrats. Yes. So uh, that's several very popular left-wing myths slightly bumped away there. 
Well, um, let's now take a look at the Democratic Socialists of America that Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez was a very proud member of. Uh, where did they come from? So the Democratic Socialists of America, the DSA, is, was, is traces its own lineage back to the Socialist Party of America of the early 20th century. Uh, famously uh, ran Eugene Debs, a newspaper man and labor organizer for president several times. Uh, Debs was sent to prison by Woodrow Wilson, the great progressive hero, for opposing the draft in World War I. <laughs> Um, and uh, I think it ultimately fell to Herbert Hoover to give him clemency, or, or not Herbert Hoover, uh, Warren Harding. Mm. Uh, it fell to Warren Harding in the return to normalcy to grant him clemency. <laughs> uh, yes. So they also, the Socialist Party of America was also the party for uh, Norman Thomas, uh, who was for many years uh, a left-wing fringe candidate um, for the presidency. Uh, but so that... You know, the Socialist Party ultimately folds because it, you know, doesn't gain suitable traction. Left-wing political strategists decide that it's better to be a pressure group within a major party than to be uh, a minor party all to yourself. Uh, and so they form the Democratic Socialists of America to be a pressure group fundamentally within the Democratic, within the Democratic camp. Uh, it is now registered as a 501c4 social advocacy group, uh, which allows it to advocate in elections as long as it's not in uh, direct connection with the, with the campaign. Uh, and uh, as of last year, the group now claims 25,000 dues-paying members. Uh, they claim to have had a surge of membership after the election of President Trump as uh, Democrats, liberals, and leftists have been uh, motivated to engage in the political process in ways that they haven't before. That's right. So they should send a nice thank you note to Mr. Trump for uh, for boosting their budget. Well, uh, just how far to the left are the Democratic Socialists of America? I will leave it to the liberal-leaning website Vox.com to, to explain that. Uh, so according to a write-up they did on DSA, uh, many DSA members would go further than any of these New Deal Democrats. That's their word for normal, normal liberal Democrats. One useful distinction is that while progressive Democrats and DSA both believe in the welfare state programs as a way to improve capitalism, DSA sees them as just one step toward completely severing the link between human needs and market scarcity. As if it is the market that creates the scarcity rather than the market attempting to allocate scarcity caused by the fact that humans cannot have whatever they want whenever they want it. <laughs> Yes, as Plato, all the way back to Plato 2,500 years ago, human wants are infinite. So there, which suggests there may always be issues of scarcity. I, you know, and you would think that our friends on the left who, you know, hang out with environmentalists who say that, you know, we're, we've used up all the Earth's resources, you think they would know that. But, you know, when it comes to, uh, when it, when it comes to a, a pointless critique, a, a false critique of the market, they, they always choose to make it. That's right. So... Uh, I think you have um, a bit more from the Vox uh, description of Democratic Socialists of America, which again, this is a friendly source. Yes, this is this is this is a friendly a, a friendly source, sympathetic to to uh, progressivism and leftism. Uh, so they quote a uh, a DSA member who edits a socialist magazine. There's a continuum between Chuck Schumer and Nancy Pelosi, the leaders of the Democratic Party in the Senate and the House, respectively, and liberal Democrats who don't want to go further than the expansion of the welfare state and the center of DSA, 
who would want everything in a Bernie Sanders program, Sanders, of course, ran for president in 2016 on a self-described socialist platform, as a starting point, and then think about what to do next. So we're talking about left of, Ber you know, left of Bernie Sanders, who un until, June, until uh, January of 2018, one presumes, is the only self-described socialist in the, U in the U.S. Congress, to my knowledge. Yes, so that's that is a pretty cool, pretty radical place to be, um, and but at least I, I give the the Democratic Socialists of America credit for for being honest about uh, and blunt even about just how far they want to go. Uh, as we quoted earlier, uh, rattling off, you know, they're going to abolish profit. They're going to abolish profit at the same time they abolish prisons, which you know a number of. A number of socialist countries, let's say the, the Union of Soviet Socialist Republics, the Socialist Federal Republic of Yugoslavia, the Czechoslovak Socialist Republic, um, you know, they all got very far along in abolishing profit, but they tended to open more prisons than close prisons. Uh, <laughs> yes. <laughs> when you abolish the market, it often becomes necessary to it lock It becomes necessary to up. lock lots of capitalists in prison. The, uh, now, I know immediately somebody <laughs> is going to jump up and object. Wait, wait, wait. It's You're viciously slurring the Democratic Socialists of America by implying yeah, that, that there's yeah, some that it's, connection. Yeah, that it's demo yeah, that, oh, these are democratic socialists, yeah. and so those therefore, are undemocratic. No, 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 no. The, the DSA has been known to hang out with people who have uh, very close ties to the old Warsaw Pact, the old Soviet bloc. Uh, the Washington, D.C., our, our local chapter of the DSA, uh, has worked with a gentleman by the name of Kurt Stand, who did a substantial prison term for spying for East Germany. Yes, for the secret police of, the, the secret, of East Germany, the, the, the secret police notorious of, Stasi. Yeah, the... Um, Which, to, and, to give the Germans credit for their great capacities, the German secret, the East German secret police was one of the absolute most effective Brutally repressive, yeah, yeah, brutally, brutally repressive, repressive uh, communist bloc secret polices of all time, and and uh, and stand his conviction for spying for East Germany uh, was not enough to cause you know was not it was not enough not only for them to stop the democratic socialists that, yeah America. not only to stop the the DSA from not having anything to do with him anymore uh, they were publishing his writings from prison. Yes. While, he, while, while, he, while he was in prison for helping for... the secret police, they're publishing him now. And more recently, he has officially rejoined uh, the our local Democratic Socialists of America. And as far as I can find anywhere, there's no indication that he regrets in any way his work with the socialists of I, East Germany or yeah, that the, his the colleagues. Yeah, have I any don't. I, I I have not seen anything to suggest that he regrets his association with the Socialist Unity Party of Germany. You yes. may know them better as the Communist Party of East Germany. <laughs> yes, and we should put in, in addition to plugging our influencewatch.org for more on the Democratic Socialists of America, we should also say that if you go to the YouTube channel for Capital Research Center, you will find our most popular uh, video of all time is a simple uh, couple of minutes or so that explains why communism will always become violent. Uh, this apparently is a controversial view among many young people, and entire videos were, were produced to try to uh, rebut the claims there. Um, but 
uh, it's it's well worth considering that there may be a reason that there's Germany's a, socialism resulted in secret police. There, there's and and there's and there's a reason that you know usually capitalists don't have to say you know we are democratic capitalists. Um, socialists have to be very clear that they're the democratic socialists and not the. Uh, Socialist Party of Socialist Unity Party of Germany, even when they're hanging out with former operatives for the Socialist Unity Party of Germany. <laughs> yes. Well, now let's talk a bit about uh, the activist strategy for Democratic Socialists of America and wh what they're hoping to accomplish here. So, according to that Vox that Vox report, uh, DSA has three main sort of activist thrusts: uh, local pressure campaigns on issue items. Things like minimum wage increases, trade you know trade union laws. Yeah, I will jump in and say that I'm aware, for instance, in the uh, the city of Austin, Texas, a a uh, a famous left wing redoubt like the district that uh, Ocasio Cortez won, um, the a city councilman who's a DSA member is pushing not just higher minimum wage, but uh, very extensive sick leave and also uh, scheduling. Uh, laws where if you are a poor McDonald's manager, you have to give all your employees two months ahead of time schedules or pay them time and a half. As which, if which, is, which is further than even San Francisco went when they did when they did this sort of thing. Yes. So uh, as you were saying, DSA yes. activists are pulling uh, this sort of thing around the country. And then there's uh, you know advocating for DSA candidates, uh, people like Ocasio Cortez. Uh, and then there is general support for union for union organizing and for left wing organizing. Uh, Vox specifically mentioned the campaign by the UAW uh, to unionize a Nissan plant in Mississippi. Uh, that of course failed two to one. <laughs> yes. Uh, now that sort of standardish political uh, campaigning is not the only thing that DSA is engaged in. However, sometimes it often goes into what the left so gently and sweetly refers to as direct action. Tell us about that. Yeah, so the, I mean, there's been some controversy recently about the, you know, how, what, where the line is between sort of violent act, you know, violent improper activism and legitimately protesting the government policy, uh, DSA tries to walk as walk on that line, uh, you know, just to the 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 legal side of that line. They, uh, their DC, the DC chapter, when uh, Kirsten Nielsen, the Secretary of Homeland Security, which is of course responsible for uh, immigration enforcement, was eating at a restaurant. They surrounded her and. You know, chanted slogans, and then she had to leave. Um, and that was again their an official act of the of the activist group. So um, uh, it remains to be seen exactly where the limit of of activism for DSA will turn out to be. Um, well, we've been talking about Ocasio Cortez, uh, the twenty eight year old mm -hmm. now Democratic candidate for Congress, um, but she is not the only young Democrat to be very. Uh, frank about her embrace of socialism, is she? No, uh, not at all. Uh, they're of Democrats between 18 and 34, and that is a large number of, eight, I mean, that is not quite all 18 to 34, but, you know, a full 68, a full 68 percent, according to one poll, of women that age are, are currently expressing a Democratic voting intention. So 61 percent of Democrats, the larger block of 18 to 34s, have a positive view of socialism. Uh, that doesn't necessarily mean they are socialists, but they have 
you know, unlike in, say, your time when the Red Men, you know, all those countries that I mentioned earlier with socialist in their names, uh, you know, even somebody on the Democratic side like a Charlie Wilson or a Scoop Jackson recognized they're the bad guys. Um, even trade unionists like Lane Kirkland, who was president of the AFL-CIO uh, in the late 20th century, recognized that that this was not where to go. Uh, that memory, that historical memory isn't present in people my age. Uh, you know, it's fitting. Ocasio-Cortez was born only a month before the wall fell. Yeah, the Berlin the, 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 Wall. Yeah, the yes, Berliner Mauer, the Berlin, the Berlin Wall, mm-hmm. getting back to East Germany. Yes, um, uh, the, which was my birthday, actually. It was quite a nice birthday <laughs> present to receive in uh, 1989. Um, so, you know, no living memory of socialist totalitarianism. And they do have a memory, you know, people my age do have a memory either of being in college or just out of high school looking for work or just out of university when it seemed like capitalism had gone off the rails in the 2008 financial crisis. Now, obviously we can say that government policy contributed to to the 2008 financial crisis and not just in the way that the left will concede that government policy contributed to the 2008 financial crisis by being too deregulatory. Uh, You know, policies like the Community Reinvestment Act, which encouraged and essentially forced banks to make bad credit, to make bad credit decisions. Uh, you know, the close connection between government and government regulators and banks who could then use their influence to pervert the regulation that existed. Uh, But, you know, to the general public, that looks like it was unfettered capitalism that caused all these problems. No, I I remember all that well. And uh, uh, even though, as you say, it really started, uh, the, the, the housing crisis actually got started in a serious way under the Democratic president, Bill Clinton, um, and the, uh, which was the beginning of the policies forcing uh, bad credit decisions. Um, and they were done, of course, in the name of ethnic equality, that there, there were racial and ethnic Oh, and there, uh, was, disparities. I mean, there was that, and then, you know, I believed in it when George W. Bush proposed it, the ownership society, that we were going to make it easier for people to own, to own homes, we were going to make it easier for people to own um you know, to own cars, to own especially especially homes. And again, unfortunately, that led to a lot of bad risks being taken. And then what the banks did was they tried to shuffle off their bad risks that they knew were bad risks on people who didn't know any better. And that contributed that contributed substantially to the problem. Yes, lots, lots and lots of blame to go around for for the crisis and uh, especially government and both parties, uh, in connection with the government. Well, so to get back where we were a second ago, though, so you have lots and lots of young people who think that socialism is swell, uh, don't begin to have uh, any fear of, of what socialism in practice is typically led to, um, and this is causing turmoil for the Democratic Party as a whole. Uh, I was shocked to learn that the Democratic National Committee chairman, uh, the ostensible leader of the party, especially when there's no presidential nominee out there, uh, uh, Tom Perez, who was Labor Secretary um, in the Obama administration, uh, he called Ocasio-Cortez the future of our party. Yeah, he did that. Uh, he did that on a on a liberal talk radio show. Um, you know, 
we you look at the you look at some of these numbers and you see that there is this uh, rising, at least among Democrats and progressives, sympathy for socialism. There is this absence of knowledge of the consequences of socialism in practice, and I mean, I'll, I'll throw another one out there. So obviously, when you know, when a, a capitalist supporter, you know, says, "Hey, wait a minute," you know, either they go back to the Warsaw Pact like I did, or they talk about a place like Venezuela, Nicaragua, uh, where current socialist economies are, again, in the case of Venezuela, full blown collapse. In the case of Nicaragua, you know, there have been uh, repressions by the government of Daniel Ortega against demonstrators who are protesting against various uh, various things going on with the government there. And, you know, they'll say, wait, hold, hold on, wait a minute. But, you know, we, we don't want Venezuela. We don't want Nicaragua. We want, you know, Sweden. We want Finland. We want Denmark. Uh, well, so Denmark uh, was in the New York Times uh, a couple weeks ago, and they were in the New York Times because they had a very, I will say, I will say fairly, fairly ruthless uh, assimilationist immigration policy uh, for, uh, obviously there's been, you know, migration into Europe, uh, especially in the last few years, but even before then, and liberal, you know, liberal progressive socialists on the internet were horrified that their great socialist hope, you know, the Nordic countries were instituting these very strict, I mean, if if you tried them in the United States, they would almost surely be struck down as unconstitutional infringements on uh, uncompelled speech, unconstitutional infringements on uh, on freedom of movement. And and Denmark's not alone. Sweden is having an election this year, and the nationalist populist Sweden Democrats are likely to do better than they have in a long time. Uh, I would throw out, too, in the case of Sweden, that uh, Sweden actually has an enormously good and broad school choice laws, uh, what in America would be called vouchers, effectively, mm. Uh, or roughly speaking, um, I would love, I would love, and the teachers' unions would be horrified by uh, the kinds of school choice uh, legal possibilities. Ab absolutely, that and, if, has. and and if you want to, I mean, if you really want to get into the Nordics as a model, if you look at like the Heritage Foundation Index of Economic Freedom, they all do pretty well, and the reason is because they're not actually socialist in terms of government ownership of the means of production. They are large welfare states with giant tax with really high taxes that are appended to very open, very classically liberal economies. Uh, so again, when a a left winger says, you know, I want to be more like Denmark, I want to be more like Finland, I want to be more like Sweden, you know, what he really means is I want to be more like France 30 years ago, <laughs> you know, yes. France before, before uh, Emmanuel Macron. And that, that I don't think is what, I, I don't think people, people very, very seriously understand that. Well, uh, I will have to comment that 
the teachers' unions uh, and the, the other left-of-center folks who control America's schooling, um, which continues to slide against the, the, uh, in performance against all of the countries we've mentioned and many, many more around the world, uh, have helped to inculcate, if you can inculcate, uh, <laughs> ignorance uh, in uh, younger people. And, of course, the K- to be fair to the teachers' unions, the K-12 the travesty of K-12 education and its failure to teach history and basic economics and the rest pales in comparison to the failures at the higher ed level, uh, I dare say, uh, for most folks. Well, and, they, and you, you bring up an interesting point with teachers unions because, of course, the the, the so-called neoliberals, uh, the not socialists in the Democratic Party, uh, they're you know, one wonders that they probably won't go quietly if they, you know, as they see this rising socialist revolution. Mike Bloomberg, uh, who, while no fan of gun owners and no fan of social conservatives, uh, was also no fan of the teachers' unions and no fan of uh, those who would wish to abolish prisons, um, as, of course, the Bloomberg administration continued most of the Giuliani uh, Giuliani's mayoralty Yes, uh, anti anti crime policies. Yes. We should say that uh, Bloomberg is the billionaire behind Bloomberg News, and yep. and for three terms, the for, New York for City three mayor, ter- three terms as mayor mayor of New York City, and now is a big money. You know, is a big uh, political. Don- political donor. Uh, he has vowed to give eighty million dollars to help Democrats get elected to the House. Um, in this know, term, in yeah, in this in this election. Uh, but again, how how well is he, who again governed New York City as a tough on crime, union busting, but still a social liberal who hates guns, moderate? How is he going to live in a coalition with this faction that wants to abolish profit? So, yes. Which Mr. Bloomberg has made quite a bit. <laughs> yes, in the billions. Uh, well, and in fact, of course, the far left side within the Democratic Party before Ocasio Cortez's. Uh, big upset of Crowley, they didn't have any trophies. They to they hang hadn't on their they wall. hadn't been do, they hadn't been doing well. Uh, the our our revolution, which is a group that basically is the Bernie Sanders campaign in continuation. Now, you know, since uh, President Obama, after he was elected the second time, started uh, organizing for America, basically as a standalone side group to advocate for himself and his policies. You know, you see these sort of campaigns in continuation after the campaign is over. Our revolution is that for the Bernie Sanders campaign. It's an advocacy group that's run by all of Bernie's people that advocates for Bernie's vision of of social of social democracy of socialism. Uh, they they hadn't had a had a win until Ocasio Cortez came along. Now Ocasio Cortez is a big win. You bump off the number four Democrat uh, in in the party. That's that's a big deal, but. There, there wasn't, there isn't a breadth of of victories. Uh, you know, they they had a couple. They had one other go along with Ocasio Cortez um, for the Democratic nomination for Mar- for um, governor of Maryland, but other than that, it has not been a widespread a widespread surge of socialist revolution. Sure, and and uh, of course, I suppose we should bring up. The, the last Democratic president, Barack Obama, uh, he had uh, had some ties before the presidency with Democratic Socialists of America, but not, not many DSAers uh, would brag about uh, his 
achieving their policy goals while in the White House. Right. He had when he was a when he was running for state legislature in Illinois way way back. He gave you know he was giving speeches at DSA forums, uh, but. When he actually came to govern, obviously he was a liberal. Obviously he was a progressive. Obviously he would probably qualify as the second most left-wing, first or second most, depends on whether you count LBJ, uh, left-wing president, certainly on the domestic side, since uh, since the twenty, you know, since the world, since World War II. Um, but to the DSA, I mean, if you look at Obamacare, Obamacare for all of what it is, for the fact that it is a massive package of government regulations and of individual mandates, it is not the government seizing control of the healthcare system and nationalizing it and making all doctors state employees, something like the National Health Service in Great Britain. Uh, and indeed, it was so light touch on the medical industry that it was supported by the American Medical Association, the progressive-leaning doctor's lobby. So if you're a abolish profit socialist, Barack Obama wasn't that. Barack Obama was was not your 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 hero who will bring you like Clement Attlee, the British Prime Minister who inaugurated the National Health Service, uh, into the the new era of Fabian state control. Um, instead, you know, he's just another Bloomberg. He's just another neoliberal. Well, now, uh, for those of us who, of course, uh, would be happy to see uh, a less unconstitutional uh, and obese national government, that is comforting. But I know that in the big picture of these things, uh, the Ocasio-Cortezes, who are young, uh, may be able to fire back. And I know you have your worries on this score, and I'll let you have the, the last word on that. I actually brought up most of them in our, in our, in our conversation, you know. Ocasio-Cortez was born a month before the, before the wall fell. I was born a couple months before the wall fell. I have no living memory of the Soviet Union. Every, people in my generation have no living memory of the international struggle against state socialism, which we called communism. The, but we do have a vivid memory of when capitalism seemed to get it wrong. And until and unless conservatives and libertarians and free market supporters have answers for real, the real kitchen table concerns of, of young people, things like student loan debt, um, things like, uh, you know, household form, you know, household formation, housing prices. Uh, you know, my, my sister moved out to California and has had to couch surf for weeks because rents are obscene. The until conservatives and free market people, whether they're, you know, whether they're conservatives, whether they're neoliberals, whether they're libertarians, have answers to those concerns that, you know, socialism is a very easy sale. I will give you free stuff and other people will pay for it. Now, you and I both know that there are a million asterisks after that. <laughs> you know, the, the fine print is as long as, you know, is far longer than that slogan. But... We live in an age of sound bites. It's a all you get is a quick shot, and until until you know free marketers really have answers to some of those questions, that that easy fix is going to be is going to be very tempting. Uh, on that sobering note, uh, I'll close out the show for this week. 
If you are listening to us on iTunes or Stitcher, you should know that we broadcast a live video version of this podcast at 10 a.m. on Thursdays on Facebook Live and YouTube. You can find our pages by searching Capital Research Center. And if you're watching the video version, we encourage you to subscribe to the audio on your preferred podcast platform. We'll see you next week.